0: In our internet age, there's a phenomenon known as going viral. You know what's meant by that phrase, going viral? It speaks of a video that has garnered lots of attention. Before you know it, you see the video everywhere. It's spread everywhere. Everyone is talking about it. Going viral. As an example, there was a couple several years ago in Minnesota... Jill Peterson and Kevin Hines, and they decided to forgo the traditional wedding processional that most couples uh, have in their uh, wedding ceremonies. They decided to dance down the aisle. Every bridesmaid and groomsman and even the bride and groom danced down the aisle. And before you know it, this video got, uh, got some attention and people began to share it. And before you know it, everyone knew about this video. As a matter of fact... The Today Show invited the wedding party onto their set to reenact the dancing in of the processional. And so this video went viral. And this video helped the couple to raise, listen to this, over $50,000 they put towards fighting domestic abuse. So it's just an amazing phenomenon in our internet age that anybody, just plain ordinary folks, can post a video. And if it captures people's attention, it can go viral. You see it everywhere. And as far as I can discern, there there are three elements to a video going viral. And listen, this there's some application here. The first element is engaging content. People see something that captures their attention. It can be it can be trivial, it can be touching, it can be Uh, Something mundane or it can be something magnificent, but it's something there's something in the video that that captures people's interest That's that's element number one element number two is you have people that want to share it and in our uh, social media age. It's so Simple to share things nowadays and and so you have people that that actually want to share the content And as more and more people share the content eventually third element you see this video everywhere And when you start seeing it everywhere, you know that it has gone viral. Now let's think about that phrase, going viral, in reference to the gospel. Wouldn't it be great if the good news that we gather to celebrate and we we scatter to proclaim, wouldn't it be great if the gospel went viral in our community? Everywhere you looked. You see or exposed to the good news concerning Jesus Christ. Well, this morning we're going to study the the church in Acts in Jerusalem, and we're going to see how the gospel went viral in that city and how God used this church to see it come to pass. So keeping that in mind, turn with me to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. And if you're on your smartphone Googling dancing wedding couple, don't do it. Just wait till after we're through. All right? Acts chapter 5. We're going to read several verses, not the whole section. I'm going to go back and reference the different sections. But I want to just kind of introduce you to a few verses that speak of this idea of the gospel going viral. So I want to ask you this morning, if you are physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. The Bible says in Acts 5, verse 12, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. Now they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. Now look in verse 14. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. Now fast forward with me to verse 28. Peter and John are brought before the religious authorities that wanted them to stop preaching about Jesus. And they say, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name, the name of Jesus. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem. Notice that. You have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. In other words, the gospel went viral. You filled the community with your teaching. Now fast forward down to the end of chapter 5. And look what it says in verse 42. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. And we are, Lord, we are so grateful for this privilege of corporate worship that we gather together and we fellowship and we sing and we hear you speak to us through your word. Lord, what a what a privilege, Lord, to know that as we gather, you are here. Your word says that you, you draw near, you inhabit the praises of your people, and we are grateful for your presence. And now, Lord, I just pray that you would, would manifest your presence in a unique way. I pray that we would leave today knowing that we have met with the living God, that our lives would be marked by transformation, that we would be different than when we walked in today. And so, Lord, I pray that by your Spirit, you would open the eyes of our hearts as we study your word, grip our hearts with the truth of your word, and, Lord, give us a desire to apply, to live out, to obey what we learn. And we'll thank you for that grace. And Lord, I ask that you would establish my steps in your word today. And we ask and pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. As we've studied the book of Acts, we've seen that the church began in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. And God gave them explosive growth. They had 3,000 saved on one day. Another 2,000 saved another day. And as Christianity grew in Jerusalem, the religious leaders who were losing influence were infuriated. And they wanted to stop this preaching about Jesus Christ. And so they began to intimidate and to threaten persecution. And Satan wants to stop it as well. He's behind, I believe, the intimidation the persecution. And Satan also infiltrates the church to raise up some hypocrites. Well, last week we saw that God... Uh, struck the hypocrites dead as a striking message that he is to be feared, that he is to be taken seriously at the beginning of this new church age that we study in Acts. And we see what happens after this episode in the remainder of Acts chapter 5. What we see is we see, even though there's intimidation, even though there is infiltration from Satan, we see that the church is sharing the gospel to the point where it goes viral. And there are some elements in our text to help us to understand how that happens. And of course, we want to apply those elements to our church, right? Because certainly we want to see that good news message go viral, right? Where everybody hears it, everyone's talking about it. And so how can we go viral with the gospel? How does that happen in a body of believers? Well, let me give you four answers to that question. Number one... We need a touch of the supernatural. If the gospel's gonna go viral, we need a touch of the supernatural. Look what it says in Acts chapter 5, verse 12. Now, many signs and wonders, supernatural activity of God, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. But more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. So what's happening here in Jerusalem as the the christians the followers of christ are attempting to preach the gospel god is accompanying their sharing of the gospel with supernatural signs and wonders demons are being cast out sick people are being healed God's power was manifest so strongly that people said, well, if we can just get our sick one into the street as Peter walks by and his shadow just falls on my sick loved one, then that person will be healed. Amazing, supernatural, wondrous movement of God here in this passage. And I believe one of the reasons that the gospel went viral in Jerusalem is because of God's supernatural power. Now, there are three aspects of the supernatural power I want you to see. First of all, we see God's power to heal. God's power to heal. It says there in verse 16, people gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick of those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. So everyone that came that needed healing, they were healed. We see God's power to save. Verse 14, more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. And so not only are people are being physically healed, people are being spiritually healed. And just listen to me, I want you to hear me carefully. Conversion, someone being born again, is a miracle of God. Because when God saves someone, He changes their heart. And that's a miracle, right? You see, we can't save anyone, right? I can't save anyone. You can't save anyone. But God can forgive someone of their sins and transform their lives. And that's supernatural. That's of God. And God does that, right? So we see his, his power to save. But then we see God's power as a direct answer to prayer. Why is God moving with these supernatural signs and wonders in and among the believers in Jerusalem. Well, look what it says back in Acts chapter 4. And I don't want you to miss this. Acts chapter 4, verse 29. The believers have been threatened with persecution, and they're praying to God. Now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So you're saying, God, give us courage to share the gospel. Give us courage to share Christ. But we ask you to accompany our preaching of the gospel with signs and wonders. And so I believe Acts chapter 5 is a direct answer to the prayer in Acts chapter 4. They prayed for God to move supernaturally, and what did God do? He moved supernaturally. God's power as a direct answer to. To prayer. Now here's the question I want to address with all of us this morning. And I'm fully aware that, that we're a Baptist church. All right, And I don't know about you, but in my Baptist church growing up, we didn't talk a lot about supernatural signs and wonders. We just didn't. My question is, can God still move like this today? And the second question is, should we ask God to manifest His power in supernatural ways as we share the gospel? My answer is, there is nothing in Scripture to indicate that we should not ask God to move in this way. It is altogether appropriate for a body of believers to ask God to touch their church with the supernatural. To move in a way that, that transforms lives and communities as we share the message of Christ. I like what D. Martin Lloyd-Jones says. He was a great preacher of the 20th century in London, England. He writes, What is needed is some mighty demonstration of the power of God, some enactment of the Almighty that will compel people to pay attention and to look and to listen. That is why I'm urging you to pray for this. Listen, when God acts, He can do more in a minute than man with his organizing can do in 50 years. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God can do more in a minute than we can do in 50 years of organizing ministry? I believe that. And so we should ask, but notice what Lloyd-Jones says. He says, we need the, the power of God, the enactment of the Almighty, so that we will see people compelled to pay attention compelled to listen. I want you to hear me. The reason for signs and wonders in the Bible is to capture people's attention so they will have ears to hear the gospel. So we don't ask God to move just for miracle's sake, just so we can say, hey, God did a miracle in our church. We ask God to move so that people who are in spiritual lethargy will wake up and listen to the message of Jesus Christ. That's why we ask God to move, to capture people's attention. To rouse a deaf world, so they will listen to the message of Jesus. So we need a touch of the supernatural. Years ago, I came across a book written by R. G. Lee, pastor for years at Bellevue Baptist Church, the earlier part of the 20th century. He was um, the predecessor, well, predecessor to Ramsey Pollard, who's the predecessor, Adrian Rogers. So he's two pastors before Adrian Rogers and. Just a remarkable pastor, remarkable preacher. And in his biography, he tells the story of an unusual day at Bellevue. He said he showed up and he got to the campus and he said something was, just the atmosphere was different, something was different. There was just an awareness on the campus that day of the presence of God. He said God was moving in the Sunday school hour, People were getting saved, and there was just this awareness of God moving in a special way. And he said the service that day was glorious, and people's lives were transformed. And he says in the book, he says, I can't really explain it. But, but, in, but in some way, God just manifests his presence in a special way, and it transformed our church. Wouldn't you like to see God do that again? Wouldn't you like to walk on the campus at Longview Point and say, something is different. I can't can't put a finger on it, but something's different today. And to know that God is meeting with us, to know when we leave, that we have had a touch of the living God on our church and on our lives. Don't you long for that? Listen, ask God to do it. Ask God to do it. How many of you prayed for this Sunday service? How many of you prayed before today for your connect group? How many of you came expecting God to move in mighty ways? Probably the number of us that prayed beforehand is very small. The number of us that came expecting God to move in a mighty way was very small. We, a lot of us just come to church you know, with a business as usual mentality. But you know why the gospel went viral in Jerusalem? Because as they shared Jesus, God showed up with power and got people's attention so they would hear the gospel. So number one, we need a touch of the supernatural. Number two, if we're going to see the gospel go viral from Longview Point, we need to obey God, listen, in the face of intimidation. We need to obey God in the face of intimidation. Now, there are three parts to this I want to just walk you through as we kind of see the story unfold. First of all, I want you to see the opposition. Look what it says in Acts chapter 5, verse 17. People are getting saved, men and women. And it says in verse 17, But the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. That's intimidating, right? We told you if you preach Jesus, we're going to arrest you. And they preached Jesus and they followed through. The opposition. Now who who were the opposition look what it says there in verse 17 the high priest rose up the high priest was a pharisee which is a with a religious jewish party that was highly respected in jerusalem and in israel and the pharisees were known for their devotion to external acts of righteousness and they believe that if we do all the right stuff if we fast twice a week and we pray certain prayers, and we give alms, and we give to the temple, and we memorize scripture, if we do all of these things, then certainly God will accept us. They believed that they could earn favor with God. They believed they could earn a right standing with God. They believed they could earn their salvation with external acts of righteousness. But hey, guess what? We know, don't we, that external acts of righteousness don't save you. You have to be forgiven of your sins, and only God can transform your heart. You need inner transformation, right? But they were legalists. They, they were anti grace. This message about Jesus is too great. No, you don't just believe. You got to do something. You got to be circumcised and, and keep the Sabbath. You got to do all these things in the Jewish law if you really want God to accept you. They did not like the message of grace being preached in the name of Jesus Christ. But also, not only the Pharisees, look what it says. The high priest rose up and all who were with him. That is the party of the Sadducees. The Sanhedrin, the the Jewish religious council, was made up of Pharisees but also Sadducees. And the Sadducees were very political. They were kind of religious, but they were very political. And made up of very prominent people in the community. And the Sadducees were basically liberal. They did not believe in the supernatural. They did not hold the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, as being authoritative. They didn't believe in the Word of God. Because they didn't believe in the supernatural, they didn't believe that there would be a future resurrection. They thought, you just die and that's it, you're you're done. They were liberal. They didn't believe God's Word. And and of course, they're against this idea that if you believe in Jesus Christ... You will be resurrected one day to go to heaven because he was resurrected when he died on the cross. And they were anti-supernaturalists. You've probably heard a pastor say this. The Sadducees were sad, you see, because they had no hope beyond the grave. And so you have Pharisees, enemies of grace, and Sadducees, enemies of truth, intimidating the church in Jerusalem. If you look there in your notes... Enemies of grace and enemies of truth will always oppose the preaching of the gospel. There are enemies of grace in our culture today. And there are liberal enemies of truth in our culture today. And both groups, legalists and liberals, both groups want us to stop preaching about Jesus. They want us to stop proclaiming what the Bible says. They don't want us to share it in our school or in our workplace or in our neighborhood. They want to intimidate the church into silence. That's the opposition, and we are still being opposed today. But not only do I want you to see the opposition, I want you to see the command in the face of opposition. Look what it says in verse 18. They arrested the apostles, put them in public prison, but during the night an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors. And brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. When they heard this, what they do? They entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. And so even in the face of intimidation, the Lord repeats his command. Hey, I'm setting you free from prison miraculously so that you will go and share Christ some more. He's very clear here. I want you to go, and he says there, Share all the words of this life. Hey, how many of you understand Jesus gives life? He gives eternal life, right, and abundant life. He said, I want you to go and share people how they can have life. Point them to Jesus. And so he gives them a command. And guess what? We've been commanded, too, to share Christ. Our mandate is clear. Now, I've given you in your notes lots of verses to look at. Every gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, has some form of the Great Commission telling us to go and make disciples to preach the gospel. Acts 1-8 says that we are to be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth, after the Spirit comes upon us. Romans 10 says that people, they're going to be saved, they have to believe, but how can they believe in Him who they've not heard of? And how can they hear without someone to tell them? We are commanded to go and share with people that Jesus saves sinners. And our mandate is just as clear as it was to the apostles in first century Jerusalem. The command is to go and share the gospel. But I want you to see the resolve of the apostles. The resolve. It says, verse 21, go and stand in the temple. So they did it, they went and stood in the temple at daybreak. The men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. And the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were being afraid of being stoned by the people. Now, listen: if you and I were in prison in Jerusalem, and an angel came and set us free, we would probably say something like this: "Hey, it's uh, pretty contentious around here. Let us let us go to Judea. Let us us go to the hillside and just kind of stay out of the limelight for a little while till things settle down." No, God said, go right back to the temple and preach Jesus. And that's exactly what they do, and, and they're arrested again. They come and grab them. It says they brought them in by force, verse 26. But they they didn't take them by force. They were afraid of being stoned because the people were listening to what they had to say. Now look at verse 27. When they brought them in, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name. Hey, by the way, in our culture, you can talk about God all you want to. But when you start saying the name of Jesus, people will get upset. When you pray in Jesus' name and you talk about an exclusive Savior, the only way of salvation, people will get angry at you. But if you don't want any persecution or intimidation, just talk about God in a general way. No one will get mad at that. But he said, you're talking about that name. You're preaching in... That name. Since you filled Jerusalem with your teaching, it's gone viral. You intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But look at Peter and the apostles' response in verse 29. We must obey God rather than men. And that's it, right? They had a command. God said, preach the gospel. The religious leader said, don't preach the gospel. And Peter said... We have to choose between obeying God or obeying you. Guess what? God wins every time. We will obey you. or We will obey God. Now there's a quote here from David Peterson I want you to see. He writes, Christians should generally submit themselves to governing authority, showing proper respect and cooperation, recognizing that political leaders and institutions have been established by God for the good order of society. At the same time, listen... They cannot deny their fundamental calling as a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession to declare the praises of the one who called them out of darkness into his wonderful light. When that opportunity is denied or thwarted by governments, a terrible clash of loyalties arises. Imprisonment and death are sometimes the lot of those who, in in, in imitation of the apostles cannot keep silent about God and the gospel. I want you to hear me. If the authorities say don't preach Jesus and God says preach Jesus we are supposed to preach Jesus. We obey God rather than men but I want you to hear me there will be a cost. There will be a cost. So we share Christ we share the truth of God's word. There will be an increasing cost even in America for sharing The truth about Jesus. But we have no other option. God has told us to share, right? And as long as we're intimidated into silence, the gospel will never go viral. We'll just keep having our religious meetings and having fun together. But the gospel won't get out to the lost. We've got to obey God rather than men. And if you just read the headlines almost daily, you'll see the growing intimidation coming against Christians in our culture but listen even if everyone in a position of authority says do not preach the gospel god is the ultimate authority we are to preach in the name of jesus amen number three there's a lot more i can say about that let me get moving number three quickly how does the gospel go viral we need to realize we have the best news in the world we have to realize that our message is engaging. How does a video go viral? There's something in there that captures people's attention. We've got to realize our message, the gospel, the good news, is the, is the best message ever. The word gospel means good news. And so what is the gospel? Well, first of all, if you look there in your notes, Jesus is the Messiah sent by God. Look what it says there, the last verse in Acts chapter 5. Every day in the temple, from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, sent by God, is who? Jesus. The the, the believers in Jerusalem were clear that the Messiah promised in the Old Testament was, in fact, Jesus Christ, sent by God to this earth to live among us, to die in our place so that we might be saved. Jesus is the Messiah, sent by God. Secondly, Jesus died for our sins. Look what it says in verse 30. We must obey God rather than men, verse 29. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. Every time we see the apostles preach, they're talking about the the crucifixion. He died on the cross because they knew that the death of Jesus was a fundamental concept of the good news. Jesus died for us. He died for sinners. He died in our place. He took our punishment. Jesus died for our sins. Third, God the Father raised Jesus from the dead. Verse 30, the God of our fathers raised Jesus. So Jesus died on Good Friday. He hung on the cross from 9 in the morning to 3 in the afternoon. He was taken down off the cross. He was buried. He was put in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. And he laid there on Friday night and Saturday morning and Saturday night dead. But early on Sunday morning, God the Father raised his son and Jesus Christ defeated death itself. And because he defeated death itself, he can give us life beyond death. He can give us eternal life. So Jesus died on the cross and Jesus was raised from the dead by God the Father. Fourth God the Father has exalted Jesus. Look what it says in verse 31. God exalted Him at the right hand as leader and Savior. Jesus Christ is exalted in heaven at the right hand of God. And God the Father says, if you want a Savior, Jesus is it. He is the Lord. He is the Savior. Follow Him. God the Father has exalted Jesus. And here's the next thing. When we follow Jesus, our sins are forgiven and we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Look what it says in verse 31. He exalted him at the right hand as leader and Savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. So when we follow Jesus, we are saved, when we embrace him as Lord and Savior, two things happen. For me, this happened when I was nine years old. First of all, our sins are forgiven. So when I called upon the name of the Lord at nine years of age, everything I'd ever done wrong, everything I would ever do wrong, was forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ, which he shed on the cross in my place. That's good news, right? I mean, who wouldn't want to embrace total, complete forgiveness of all of our junk? I mean, who in this room would not be, be ashamed if a replay of your life was shown on the screen. We're all sinners, right? Last night I was talking to Abby Faith and she studied in her her preschool class about the thief on the cross. And she said she said, "Daddy, she said, Jesus took that bad man with him to heaven?" I said, "Abby Faith, don't you want me to tell me why that's such an important important story?" I said, we're all bad people. We've all blown it. We've all sinned. And I explained to her what sin is, and we talked some more from there. But that's the reality of the gospel. We're all bad men. We're all bad women. And our only hope is that Jesus would graciously forgive us and take us to heaven. And so when we embrace Christ, our sins are forgiven, but it doesn't stop there. When we embrace Christ, not only are our sins forgiven, but we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. When I was saved at nine years of age, the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit himself, came into my life to take up residence, and he's been changing me ever since. That's good, isn't it? He saves you, he forgives you, and then he transforms you, By the power of the Spirit. That's really, really good news. Why don't we share it more? We have the best news in the world. And that's why the gospel went viral in Jerusalem. They understood how good the good news was and is. Years ago, Frank and I attended a missions conference in Chattanooga. And there was a portion of the conference when we were going into different rooms that represented different unreached people groups on the face of the earth. And we went into one room to look at an unreached people. group. We are looking for partnerships for our church, ways to reach unreached peoples. And we went in the room, and the man that was working with his people group, seeking to get the gospel to them in a very hard area of the world, had a sign up. And he said, this sign stays up by his desk. He sees the sign every day. So he had the sign up in his room, but it's also a sign that he had up as he ministered on the field. And the sign simply said this. How many people in my field today will hear the gospel? How many people will actually hear the gospel? And the idea is we need to saturate the area with the gospel. Let me ask you a question. How many people in Hernando tomorrow will actually hear a clear, spirit-filled articulation of the good news? How many? If we want the gospel to go viral, we've got to understand how good the good news is and get out there and open up our mouths and share it. Amen? Fourth and last, how can we see the gospel go viral? We need to have confidence that kingdom advance is unstoppable. Look what it says in verse 33 of Acts 5. This is a fascinating part of the story. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. They said, stop preaching about Jesus, and what does Peter do? He preaches another sermon. And they're fired up. They want to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, who, by the way, was Paul's mentor in Judaism, tells us that in Acts 22, he was a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people. He stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to this religious council, the Sanhedrin, Men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody. And a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men... And let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But listen to this next verse. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. Don't you love this this truth in this text? He's just trying to stop them from killing the apostles. He, I think he was scared of the public outcry that would come. And so he says, listen, just don't mess with them. We've had other folks rise up and say they were important and religious leaders and, and a group followed them. When they died, it, it just scattered and the, the movement fizzled. And if this is, is not of God, it will just fizzle. But don't you love the logic? But, it, but if it is of God, nothing we can do will stop it. And we'll even be found opposing God. He was absolutely right. And that's the confidence that you and I need. We need to have confidence that ultimately kingdom advance is unstoppable. Look in your notes very quickly. Governments can't stop it. As they pray over in Acts chapter 4, they say, Pontius Pilate was was involved in, in, in giving the orders to crucify Jesus. Herod, the Jewish king, was involved in all of this, and yet they were simply pawns in your hand, God. They were doing what you wanted them to do. You were in control. The nations are like a drop in the bucket to you, God. And so governments can't stop the advance of the kingdom, Nations like China have tried it. The, the, the authoritarian government in China, the communist government, tried to stamp out any religious movement because they wanted to go the, 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 the route of, of atheism, which is the foundational uh, belief under communism. And, and they tried to stamp out Christianity, but guess what? Every time they try to stamp it out, it just grows. And there are millions of Christians in China today, underground and it's growing by thousands every day. Listen to me. The government cannot stop the kingdom. No government can. And when they try, it seems like it just goes that much faster. Satan can't stop it. Satan can't stop kingdom advance. Acts chapter 5, he tried his best. He, 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 he put it on Ananias to fire his heart. Hey, lie about what you're giving me a hypocrite. Let's infiltrate the church. Let's, let's water down the church. What happens next? Right after that story, it says men and women are being saved by multitudes. Satan can't stop the kingdom. He wants to, but he can't stop it. Third, threats won't stop it. Threats won't stop it. They, they keep threatening and intimidating, but they just keep on preaching. Threats cannot stop the preaching of the gospel. And persecution won't stop it. Look what happens in Acts chapter 5, verse 40. When they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus Let them and let them go. They beat them. Probably this is a, a, a lashing with a cat of nine tails. And the Jews had a regulation that you could not beat someone 40 times. It had to be 40 minus 1. So at least they could beat them up to 39 lashes with a cat of nine tails. They beat them. And their crime? Preaching Jesus. They beat them. Look what happens next. They charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. They beat them and they went right on preaching and teaching. Persecution can't stop spirit-filled believers from sharing the good news. We need to have confidence that the kingdom, that kingdom advance is unstoppable. Here's the point. We're going to close. We should pray and tell others about Jesus. No matter the cost. Anticipating the gospel to go viral. I'll say it again. We should pray and tell others about Jesus no matter the cost. Anticipating the gospel to go viral. Wouldn't you love it? if it could be said of our church, that we filled up Hernando. We filled up DeSoto County. We filled up the Mid-South area with the good news of Jesus Christ.